I'm Jim Rudd, and I sold a bag of duck decoys to Guy Hansen. Do, do we want to try to call him to give him a last chance? Because here's the thing, right? Because it's a simple dial-in, he can join this at any time. Slow day, I'm hoping for a slow day. February 2018, this is the Snow Day Podcast, Episode 14, our look at the Olympics. We're only three guys in the Snow Day Podcast. Steve is AWOL in Montreal, checked in, boys, what, 50 minutes ago? Yeah. I thought he said locked in for, for the time, but uh, maybe he meant he was locked up and he was going to be tight for getting on this call. It's 15 minutes late. We're already on a second reschedule, so we're hoping that he shows up here soon. A little bit of a feedback on the last pod. Lots of good vibes again. But, uh, I don't know if you guys saw this one on Facebook, but Anne Harwood posted a message on our Facebook page and I was scared because we were sort of a little bit hard on Todd, especially the whole drunken sailor business and his mom. And But instead she said, enjoyed the pod, thoughtful discussion on a difficult topic. And I think she kind of summed up the way I felt that we handled that. Fun learning about badminton games and brings back fond memories of good times at the Artie Parker gym. You guys know, I think that before I started with Artie Parker Badminton Club when we were in high school, I babysat Todd so that Anne could go play and then sort of graduated to catch and rides with her and playing there. Lots of fond memories for, for me too, and I know for you too, Georgie. I want to I wanna toss out, I think I owe Harwood a formal apology because I like to bust his balls a little bit, but I realized in listening to the pod after uh, you posted it that I had no idea what the words to Drunken Sailor were, <laughs> and it is a filthy song. I now feel very differently about the disparaging remarks I was making. Yeah, that's probably not a song that you should be teaching uh, young children. <laughs> but there's really only so one made, line, isn't it, about taking the captain's daughter? I, the general tone of the whole song is a little bit, let's call it adult-oriented. So I at least now understand the discussion. You know, I'm, I'm mad enough to say that I was wrong. I apologize to Harwood. There you go. I think I'm with you 100% that clearly the tone of that isn't uh, child-friendly, and there's a lot of songs no out there that we, could, that we could be teaching our kids. So, <laughs> Yeah, no no kidding. I think we, we owe, uh, owe him a small apology. Up next is a lively sea chanty called The Drunken Sailor, arranged by Emily Croker. Here's the disclaimer. There's going to be some swearing. This is going to be a little unprofessional. Someplace between a locker room and a church gathering. Nothing we'd be embarrassed to play for our kids or our parents. That's kind of the zone. If you can live with that, welcome aboard. If not, thanks for giving it a try. Four friends trapped in a virtual living room by a virtual snowstorm. This is the Snow Day Podcast with Dr. George Alvarez. The Olympics has been really irrelevant for a long time, even though I love the concept of the competition of the Olympics. Guy's son and entrepreneur, 
Leslie Hansen. It was decided, yeah, we ain't bidding on the Olympics. That was a pain in the ass. Nobody really liked having them here. Disrupted traffic. The general population was like, yeah, we don't want to host the Olympics. Speaker, author, and leadership expert, Stephen DeGroote. I got, I'm getting my fucking text. Great <laughs> podcast I'm listening to. <laughs> and me, I'm still in Thompson. Bruce Krentz, the one they left behind. So depending on who our audience is, I, either I look like the most manly man in this crowd or I am heathen <laughs> because I've shot a lot of animals. And Don't you me. wonder why you're the one we left behind. <laughs> <laughs> I'll move into what's going on with you guys. Let's start with uh, you, Lester. Are you out in the peat again, or have you made your way back to T.O.? What's been going on since you listened carefully to no, the lyrics no. to the song? Yeah. Thankfully, uh, I am not snowed in in Peterborough tonight. I am in T.O. here for a little while. Got a bunch of uh, stuff going on. Got a few people coming through town in the next little while, so it should be pretty good. I'm good to go. Is it snowing in Teal right now? Just, I'm sure you guys are on top of this and you've dusted off your bicycles, but tomorrow is Winter Bike to Work Day International happening around the world. There's an international winter cycling conference going on in Russia right now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been uh, quite a bit of snow here the last couple of days. Although not as much as George. George just said you got a foot out there, right? Yeah, it's been crazy here. And it's funny because I actually saw a guy biking to work and I was thinking, man, this guy's committed. It is so terrible outside. There's so many accidents and this poor guy is struggling. So I guess he's getting warm for tomorrow. He probably doesn't even know tomorrow exists. Our city crews just can't keep up. So the streets here are treacherous too, but I'm going to put on two helmets tomorrow and uh, give her a rip. Actually, I've been biking most of the winter, but George, what else is going on with you out in Cowtown? A mutual buddy of ours, Gerald, came out with his son Liam to do a little bit of a ski weekend. So we had a great time last weekend. It was just puking snow in the mountains, and uh, Liam and my son Sebastian share the same birthday on Monday. So uh, we got to hang out with the Silverback, Gerald, and I'm heading back to work tomorrow after having, uh, you know, a week off. It's especially nice that Steve hasn't quite joined us yet, because I get to throw in a shameless plug for myself after ripping him at the end of the pod last time for doing the getting to better thing. I've spent the last two or three weeks recording shows for Shaw TV here. So the Manitoba Games are coming, and that's a nice tie into the Olympics. Our little version of the Olympics will be here in 28 days, and one of my volunteer jobs has been recording a television show for Shaw called Play North, the Manitoba game show. So we're interviewing volunteers and athletes and stuff like that. And it's just been, uh, it's been a blast. The cameraman, Paul and I have been cruising around interviewing people like crazy. So Shaw TV Thompson on YouTube, all the videos are there. We've got a couple of North Star shows up there too. So how's that for a shameless plug? www.manitobagames.ca is the place to get all the information on the games there. <laughs> If Steve shows up, we'll let him tell us what's going on with him, but we, we basically know. So he's little... drunkenly walking the streets of Montreal right now. He's wandering around lost. He's probably so drunk he's looking for a payphone, not realizing he has a cell phone. <laughs> the payphone is one of my when's the last time used. I saw one the other day and I thought we should throw that out. We'll Ooh, save it. That would be a good one. We'll save it. Yeah, that is yeah. a good one.
Topic of the day is the Olympics. The Olympics started yesterday, sort of. The opening ceremonies are only a day away. We've got our own little version of the Olympics, the Manitoba Games, coming to Thompson in about a month. Are the Olympics still relevant to us? And if they aren't, when did they jump the shark? When did they no longer mean anything to you? When did they go too far? Or is the Olympics still an unbelievable, awesome thing for you that you look forward to? Lester, who uh, probably had the Olympics in your sights more than any of us, so maybe you watch it more, maybe you don't. An interesting way to start this conversation in terms of how relevant they are, you just mentioned that they started yesterday, and I I have to admit I was not aware of that. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that they had started. I think this is a great topic. I'm assuming most of our listeners are of our generation, although I know some of Bruce, I know some of your kids, friends, listen and whatnot. So I, I do think, again, that this is a little bit of a generational topic because I think what we're really exploring in this conversation today is how our feelings on the Olympics may have changed over time and whether we still feel the same way about them today as we might have when we were much younger. You're probably correct in saying, I don't know if I was had the Olympics that close in my sight. I was an Olympic junkie when I was young, for sure. My chosen sport very foolishly did not have a professional career at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't swing a tennis racket, eh? At one point, yeah, exactly. I remember realizing at one point, wow, I put a lot of hours into training in a sport in which I will never make any money. This doesn't make a lot of sense. This wasn't a very good choice for me. <laughs> so the Olympics were something that were a big part of my early life because because the way that I was training and you know trying to get to them myself. Where I used to train at Pan Am Pool in Winnipeg, the original building was the home to the Canadian Aquatic Hall of Fame. So there was a huge display in there with a bunch of sports history, sports memorabilia going back a long ways. And a lot of it was Olympic in nature. So I used to kind of hang out and train every day amongst all of this Olympic historical memorabilia. And I was a bit of an Olympics junkie because of that. Like, I knew the history of the games. I knew where they all had been. And the Olympics were always a huge, huge thing for me when I was young. And now here we are tonight, and you're telling me that they started yesterday, and I thought they started tomorrow, and I was not even aware. So I I guess the safe answer to the question is they are not as relevant to me today as they used to be. I think there's two aspects of it that we can delve into. One is what has changed over time that has lessened the importance to us, if you guys agree with me that they're not as front of mind. And number two is, I know that a bunch of people in our listening audience are going to give me shit for this one, but the Winter Olympics have always kind of been the ugly stepsister of the Summer Olympics. And so I think that the Winter Olympics are even tougher to kind of get excited about than the Summers, even though, you know, we're Canadian and we probably are much more adept at winter sports. But that's my, that's my opening statement for George to rip into it. That's a good start. I'll bail you out just a wee bit. The opening ceremonies are tomorrow, and it was Mixed Curling, a brand new event that started yesterday, and it's really kind of weird. You can add a rock at some point in the game. You've got a power play. It feels like a video game, like you can hit your your power-up button and add a rock that screws up your opponents and stuff. It's kind of, oh, yeah, it's kind of hokey. <laughs> it, it, like, it looked kind of fun, but... Turns out not everything I said right there is true, but eh... You get the idea. 
I'm not going to totally bail you out. You should have known. But uh, with the opening ceremony still two days away, it is kind of strange that there's some events before that. George, your turn. Are you going to take us back to 88 or are you going to cut into a little bit of what Les said? No, it's actually interesting, Bruce, that you mentioned that because that's one of the themes I thought we were going to touch on is the ridiculous amount of sports that keep getting added on that should never be in the Olympics. Les totally jolted a memory now when he was Olympics junkie. I remember he went for a dive meet in L.A. and he came back and it was right around the L.A. Olympics, like the 1984 Olympics. I remember Les had this L.A. Angel, like a baseball hat that he wore all the time in grade eight or nine. And I think it was because you got it in L.A. And is that true, Les? Am I making that up? Yep, that's absolutely correct. I went through L.A. in 83 and they were getting ready to host the Olympics in 84. And they had all the mascot for the 84 Olympics in L.A. was Sam the Olympic Eagle. I had a whole bunch of paraphernalia from that. And I had the California Angels hat that I wore for (laughs) probably a couple of years when we were 12, 15 years old. Exactly. I just remember your blonde hair was always curled underneath the cap all the time with your big bushy hair. Funny what you remember. I remember how my hair looked when we were young. Yeah, I love that you still have that in picture, you know, that picture emblazoned on your brain. Well, usually you're naked in my mind. (laughs) So Les gets me into the Olympics and then 88 comes. And the reason why I wanted to mention 88, because really the peak and the fall of the Olympics happened for me in 88 for two reasons. One, the winter in Calgary, the same time that uh, they're in Seoul, Korea. And of course, you know, Ben Johnson, for anybody our age, you know, we were all gutted when Ben Johnson destroys in the 100 meter. I remember being at university and then it being taken away 48 hours later. And to me, that really started becoming the realization of how rampant the pressure is in all sports to perform. And if you just sort of start tumbling forward in time, you know, the Barry Bonds, the Lance Armstrong, currently all the Russian athletes that can't go to the Olympics, but some of them can. We've all read about and seen documentaries about that Ben Johnson. And it's quite clear that everybody was on drugs during that race. And somehow he was the only one that got caught. So for me, you know, just as I was getting into it, it started to lose its luster just because that was the beginning of kind of cracking the naivety that we all had about these amazing athletes. And one of my best friends is spending, you know, a thousand hours, you know, a year in a pool trying to become this awesome diver. And then juxtaposed on that, we just start finding out and it just becomes more and more rapid in the next 30 years, literally, how Basically, you cannot compete at this level, let alone the Olympics, without it being illegal. And then more to the point, even Russia, it almost be state-sponsored cheating. For me, the Olympics has been really irrelevant for a long time, even though I love the concept of the competition of the Olympics. I'll throw this one to you, and I don't know if you have any like professional knowledge on this or if you just follow it like the rest of us, but really, I think sometimes people kick around sort of that funny idea that, you know what, we should just let doping be legal and let anybody do whatever they want, and then we'll see what happens with the Olympics, right? But are we are we basically there now anyway? Uh, that's a good question, Bruce. I think it's definitely one of the things that has tarnished sport in general. The Olympics has gone pretty far out of its way to control doping. You know, it's it's always been seen as sort of part of the ethic of the Olympics and the Olympic movement to make sure that sport remains clean, whereas professional sports have all been different. Now, doping has taken on an entirely different nature, right? I think Lance Armstrong was kind of the final domino that, that killed most people's 
belief in any fashion that athletes were pure and true. Different sports are different. You know, the NFL versus the NBA versus cycling, they all have different doping rules. But there's an understanding now or just an acknowledgement that there's probably going to be some level of doping in every sport at its highest levels. Some sports don't require it. You know, it's really not going to be an advantage, so that's fine. But it, it really is one of the things, I think, that has weakened our belief in sport. Because the Olympic movement, I mean, when, you know, we were young, or even now, if we kind of harken back to those memories, one of the things that you think is so incredible about the Olympics is not only are you honoring the single person on the planet who is the greatest at whatever it is they've chosen to do, like one person out of 7 billion that is the greatest, which is just an incredible thing to think about. But it, it also is supposed to honor the pursuit of excellence, which is um, fairness, sport, respect for the game, like all those things that go into it, the hours of training and all sort of like that heartwarming, heartfelt stuff. People get a little bit jaded when they realize that, yeah, Ben Johnson was caught in 1988. It's now pretty widely believed that every single guy that was in that finals was doping to a certain degree. And Ben had the shittiest doctor and managed to get caught. It's unfortunate. Everyone in cycling dopes. 88 was not that long after 72 or 76, where the entire East German women's swim team, everybody knew 100% they were doping. Like the women's swim team walked in being larger than most of the men's swim teams. And everyone was just like, holy shit. And that was sort of the first realization of doping and what doping could do, like how massively it could transform the human body. And now there's parts of it that are just accepted. You know, it's, if you're a professional athlete and you're at the end of your career and you can do some HGH and add five more years to your career and entertain us for five more years, make a bunch more money to support your family and continue the excellence that you are, why would you not do it, right? Like the conversation has gotten very multifaceted. It's not as black and white as an issue as it was in 88. But I agree with George. I mean, we all remember the incredible elation we felt. Everybody out there probably remembers, if you're Canadian listening to this, you remember where you were when Ben Johnson won that gold medal. And then you, you may or may not remember where you were when you heard that it was being taken away from him. It's funny because how many of us remember with the same level of reverence where we were when Donovan Bailey matched the same feat and won an Olympic gold medal in the 100 meters in 96. It just wasn't as big an event eight years later, even though it was the exact same achievement. And you got to keep it, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, I totally remember. I think I was probably with you, George, at University College Res watching the race yes. side by side. And then 48 hours later, I was walking from University Center back to Res. And it was one of the guys from Dauphin that stopped me and said, you know, they just took Ben Johnson's medal away. So you're right out. That's like a JFK moment for the, the people of our age. For me, that's when it started to lose its shine or lose its relevance. I mean, that that one a little bit, but I think the, the doping thing and then just how all sports have now become so professional and so much bigger with sponsorships and things like that. At, at that time, and you're right, but it's yeah. probably we were younger. We believed that that's exactly what it was, right? I remember seeing some curlers on TSN. This is one of those things that I, that I always thought was so cool. Some curlers on TSN had the highlight of the night and it was some crazy curling shot. You know, two of them worked at a hardware store and one of them was a mechanic or something like that. And their highlight was right beside Wayne Gretzky's. And I thought, that's what, amateur, <laughs> that's what amateur sport is, right? Like, that could be me. I could be the highlight of the night on TSN. And to an extent, 
the Olympics were kind of the same thing, right? It was a, a girl that you went to university with was a, was a cyclist that was unbelievable. But those were yeah. kind of real people. Now you look, you look at Usain Bolt. The guy is a bazillionaire already through endorsements, and that even goes down to they did a, a special on Mark McMorris last night. It's pretty neat actually on CBC. He just he almost died in a snowboarding accident in BC a year ago, and now he's back at the Olympics. And it's sort of this awesome heartwarming story of a guy from Saskatchewan. Well, as you watch the documentary, he flew to California, he flew to Australia, he had a personal trainer for. All the time he could ever imagine. He They showed him in just the most amazing facilities, this treadmill in a hot tub. It was just bizarre, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and so you watch that yeah. and you think, you picture the snowboarder guys are still maybe that guy that, George, you might have bumped into at Sunshine, right? He, he just happened to be really good at big air. No way. Red Bull has given this guy everything he could ever imagine. He has a house in California and one in Vancouver. Yeah. And so to me, almost none of the athletes that we're seeing are amateurs Really, they have some endorsements, yeah, or, or they have some. They have such massive support from their government, whatever government that that might be. That now they're not just amateurs, no matter what you say. Correct. Somewhere between eighty-eight and now, that started to to wear on me a bit. I think that's a really good point, George. Sorry, I'm going to cut you off and jump in again. I think that's a really good important point because for me, like doping is one thing, but it doesn't really bother me that much. I think in my mind, what's changed the Olympics more than anything else is when we were young, growing up. Going to the Olympics meant you have to be an amateur athlete. You can never have been paid for what you do. And then there was, you know, this, well, this isn't really fair because the Soviets send the Red Army teams, right? And, well, we all knew that the Red Army hockey team were a bunch of professional hockey players. They were paid to just play hockey and train for the Olympics for four years. It really, it all started to change in 92 was the first Olympics they started to allow, they changed the rules for professional athletes. Remember, 92 was the original dream team in basketball when Michael Jordan and Barkley and all those guys went and just dominated the world because they said, you know, now professional athletes can play. And now you've got this watering down of what that Olympic amateur versus professional definition was is effectively gone. It started with, well, you can be a professional in your sport, but you can still represent your country as an amateur. And it's ended up with, if you're the top in your sport, in any sport as an amateur, you're basically doing it as a professional because you're getting paid. Even even some of the lesser known sports, or not lesser known, but the, the less glamorous sports, if you're an Olympic athlete, you're generally making sponsorship money and you're, you're basically a professional athlete. That's a good point. I remember that in Barcelona. I was thinking, why do these people want to come to the Olympics? They're the best in the NBA. Like It didn't make much sense to me why they started allowing mm -hmm. that to happen. It's interesting. Well, further to your guys' point, I think everybody has figured out what we've already figured out because, you know, in the last couple of years, the almighty IOC has really had, you know, a fall from grace. You know, the running joke when we were younger, the best job on earth was to be an IOC committee member, right? They just got obscene money. They were bribed constantly. Everybody was vying to get an Olympics. And now the Olympics have a host city problem. They cannot find cities to host. And if you just think in the last couple of years, you know, Austria and Boston overwhelmingly said, we don't want to do 2026. Toronto bowed out, Rome bowed yep. out. And what's crazy is a couple of weeks ago, the IOC came to Calgary on their own dime. And they're sending, our mayor is in Pyongyang on the dime of the IOC because they're so desperate to get cities 
And Calgary is likely going to win the 2026 because they're saying, hey, you've already got the facilities. Why don't you share some with Whistler? Bring in Edmonton. Use the Rexall place for NHL because the world is figuring out that it's a big financial hit to try to hook yeah. something that already luster is fading. Perhaps the biggest fallacy is this lasting legacy that I think they've sold. And maybe Calgary yep. and Whistler, you know, there, there are facilities that have been around. Like, I mean, Calgary's done an amazing job of keeping the facilities relevant and a lot of sports are run through the site there because the city runs yep. it and a lot of kids go through there and they've done a really amazing job. But it's now a fallacy about this, this lasting legacy, which was always the byline when we were growing up, right? If you host the Olympics, you're going to have all these great facilities. The world will notice you for two weeks. But just like a two-week party, it's a gigantic hangover. And the most tragic one, if you go online and look at Rio, it is sad to look at the facilities. Even the aquatic stadium is completely abandoned. There's like literally weeds yeah. in an empty pool. And the golf course is not open. Golf doesn't even make any sense to me to be in the Olympics. I read this ridiculous stat. 25% of Canadians golf. They, they can say, I have golfed in the last, you know, one or two years. The number of people that golf in Rio was 0.0001%. And they built this crazy golf course that no one can afford to use. That's another big point is the IOC, they're having problems getting people to think that it's a good idea to host anymore. I don't know what you guys think about that. I, I think I've seen pictures, George, that are the same from Sochi, the Winter Olympics there, right? They built that unbelievable whole facility that, that's untouched. And I think that legacy or the, that money question goes deeper. The ones that were in China where all the news came out that they swept all the poor people away and, and just basically the human rights <laughs> violations there were atrocious. And there were lots of stories like that out of Rio as well, right? And then you start to think in our country, we, we want to believe that it, it's probably not going to be that bad, but how much money do you pour into those Olympics when you could be pouring them into social programs? And I don't want to be too much of a bleeding heart, if that's the right word, even though I am a bit of a hippie. And how much do we even put into training our athletes, uh, knowing that maybe the Olympics aren't that special or that we should be spending our money somewhere else? And that's always a gut call for anybody, right? How much do you spend on elite versus grassroots or sport yeah. versus something else. But I think some of that is starting to show up a lot more with the Olympics too, especially after, like we say, the ones in China and Rio where some of the human rights stuff, the, the stories that came out were pretty hard to watch. On a personal note, I remember being in China in 1994. I was in Beijing and in downtown Beijing, they had all of these phone booths that didn't have phones in them. And I couldn't figure out like... <laughs> What the fuck? Why are there all these phone booths without phones in them? And then I noticed a, a crew of these workers that were going around and they were spraying dead grass green with spray paint. And I was like, wow, that's really bizarre. And then I found out after the fact from a friend of mine who was living there, it's because Beijing was trying to win the bid for the 2000 Olympics. Because remember, that was like a big, you know, the 2000 Olympics was a big one that everyone was trying to get. So Beijing was trying to win the 2000 Olympics and the IOC selection committee was coming to visit the next month. And they had rules such as if you want to host Olympics, you have to have X number of pay phones within X square blocks of all of the facilities. So they had thrown up all these pay phone booths <laughs> that didn't actually have phones in them. 
So bullshit. And I was like, at the time, I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. Like they're trying so hard to win these Olympics. Now, obviously, I feel very different about it because you guys have said is very true. Host cities and host countries of the last several Olympics, the IOC has been exposed for being the, the most corrupt, the, you know, the largest financial fraud other than maybe FIFA, because the same thing happens with the World Cup, where it ends up being a massive diversion of taxpayer funds into private construction builder hands. And, you know, again, like like you, Bruce, I don't want to become a bleeding heart, but it is a terrible financial situation um, and, and a tremendous amount of corruption. Whereas a generation ago, when we were young, man, it was a huge thing for your city to win the Olympics. It really mattered. In 76, when Montreal hosted the Olympics, the world learned about Canada watching the Olympics. Our ability to know and see what's going on on the other side of the world has changed so much over our lifetimes that it's a huge difference. It was an honor and a way to promote yourself to the world if your city won the right and your country won the right to host the Olympics. And it was like a fantastic way to advertise and boost tourism and whatnot. Now, it doesn't matter. You don't need to host the Olympics for people to find out about you because anybody can find out anything that they want. And it's become a very different game. So that's sort yeah. of like one aspect of it. George, I think that's a great point that hosting the Olympics has become a really corrupt thing, which is another thing that sort of taints it. The other, I think, final kind of piece of it with, with drugs, and hosting issues, drugs, when I say drugs, you know, I mean, doping, not, you know. Not what the athletes drugs. are not, finding not in the marijuana. village. Yeah, with the doping scandals and whatnot in hosting. The other thing that you mentioned, George, is this massive influx of new sports. And I can tell you with certainty, that's because the Olympics are now governed by television. It used to be that the IOC was a very important international body. They decided what was in the best interest of sport, and they hosted the Olympics to showcase what was most important about sport. Now, the Olympics are basically owned and controlled by the television stations that broadcast their rights. What happens in sport is controlled by what's going to generate the highest television ratings and the highest earnings for the broadcast companies. They've watered down the Olympics by throwing a bunch of wacky new X Games sports in, by throwing in tennis and golf and all these things that didn't need to be there start off saying it's generational for guys our age it's like what the hell is tennis and golf doing in the olympics those aren't olympic sports whereas if you're younger and you're watching the olympics for the first time as an as an interested sports viewer now i guess you'd think it's normal but all these wacky sports that they throw in just to boost television ratings they water down the product that ties right into the question of are the olympics still relevant well they're kind of less relevant to us because we don't care about some of these sports that we don't consider as the classic Olympic events that we grew up watching. Or even just classic more, sport, yeah. sports. The other flip side of that is when I want to watch the best golfers, you know, I watch the British. When I want to watch the best tennis, you know, I watch the Australian Open. A lot of the sports that are in the Olympics, I have no interest in watching that sport because I don't think that's the highest level of that sport. That's the part that doesn't make sense to me. I, I think that is a good point about television dominating what's in. But then who made the decision about mixed curling, Bruce? Like, was there some Canadian that had a ton of power that somehow said, yes, mixed curling is going to get ratings through the roof? That one I don't get. I, I don't get that one either. I, and I mean, you don't even see it. If mixed curling had been a thing, if it's two people, right? It's, it's one guy and one girl against one guy and one girl on the other side. So you sweep oh, your God, own. I didn't even know that. 
you sweep your own rock, you only throw six rocks. Like, it's just strange. I mean, if this had spread across the country 10 years ago and everybody was playing it, maybe you'd say, yeah, you know what? It worked its way into the Olympics, but they're basically introducing this sport or this variation of it at the Olympics, which is totally backwards from the way that that we expect things, right? The Olympics are, people are doing it all over the world, so we want to have a kind of a world championship. So that's a perfect example. That's a sport that 100% has been generated for television totally. as opposed to televising a sport that actually exists and matters. And you want to know who's the best in the world because so many people are doing it. It's been flipped on its head. A little bit I get. Some of the X Games things did come about that way, right? The the, the big air competition yep. at snowboarding. Sure. That started from one hill to the next hill. Hey, this guy can go higher than this guy. Next thing you know, we need a world championship. So as much as... Those are kind of still weird to me. I, I get where that came from, right? It had an organic beginning, and so yep. I, I can kind of buy it. I mean, that leads me a little bit to, in the Olympics, judge sports versus non-judge sports. As much as you're an athlete, I think if there's judging in your sport, it shouldn't be at the Olympics. I know that I know that's a tough one, and that cuts to the core for you, Lester, but there's always <laughs> trouble with, ju- yeah. with judge sports, right? Whereas the fastest guy is the fastest guy. And even if you don't like hockey, yeah. I scored five goals and you scored four figure skating nothing's the olympics are corrupt and figure skating is corruption inside corruption like it it was insane for yeah them. well that you know that's a barstool sports topic for the ages uh judged sports sort of where they fit in as an athlete you know who trained and competed in a judged sport i obviously think that it deserves to be an olympic pursuit but i will say and i hope none of my olympic friends who listen to this um, get pissed off at me, but it's generally understood in those sports that the Olympics, even though it's the most sought after and aspired to achievement in those sports, people generally know that the Olympics is not going to be the best judged event. So the caliber of competition and the fairness of competition is higher at world championships than it is at Olympics in most of the judged sports because of that, because there's so much politics that goes into the selection of judges for the Olympics. Figure skating obviously has had some high profile disasters. My sport of diving has never had anything that's been super dramatic or publicized at the Olympic level where everyone's been like, oh, that was obviously, you know, throwing for the Russians or or anything like that. But it could happen. And I agree, it it creates a different category. That's for sure. The other, and I mean, it's a sport specific, but the other tricky one with judge sports for me is I always think Everybody should have to do the same thing. I mean, stick to your example. If you got to do triple one and a half with two twists off the 10 meter, then everybody should have to do that. And then you're sort of judging apples to apples, whereas you you get to do your best dive and I get to do mine, which don't happen to be the same. And and I know that there's a scoring system and all that, but for a lot of the judge things, even for gymnastics, I always feel like you should all have to do the same thing. Figure skating, same. So <laughs> I don't know. But that's yeah. coming from a guy who's well, really never done a judged sport. So sports, Most of those sports, Bruce, historically had some version of compulsory rounds where everybody did the same basic movements and they were judged. Mm. And then you'd go on to optional rounds where you kind of chose your own more challenging skill tests. But what what you're saying that everybody has to do the same thing used to be a bigger part of those sports. And a lot of them have moved away from that again because it's not as fun to watch on television. <laughs> Perfect example from my sporting history is I'm sure you guys have watched diving in the Olympics lately and you've seen synchronized diving where you have two people diving at the same time. Yep. So that never existed. Like I fortunately got out of diving 
just as that was being kind of tossed around. We used to do it for fun, goofing around. We used to see if you could get two people to do the same dive at the exact same time when we were just playing, like at the end of workout or whatnot, right? Where that came from is I, I remember this clearly. It was near the end of my career and diving always suffered from the fact people who are in charge of marketing diving couldn't figure out why it wasn't a more popular sport in television ratings. You have these fantastic looking people in bathing suits. You have high drama stories. Like why don't they get good television ratings? Why does figure skating always outperform diving on television? And one of the things that the marketing research groups came back with was, well, when you watch figure skating and you watch pairs figure skating, you have two people involved and that's a little bit more interesting. So the powers that be said, huh, well, if there was a version of diving that had two people, maybe that would get higher television ratings. And that's where that's where synchronized diving came from. Now, here we are 30 years later, and it's an Olympic sport that has relevance and whatnot, and that's fine. And I don't, I'm not taking anything away from it, but it was generated for marketing reasons. Television sort of take over and start watering down pure sport that we remember when we were young. The, the only thing I'll say for that, though, is it did obviously grow a little bit organically if you guys used to do it at the pool just goofing around, right? So it, it, it did yeah, grow. No, right? that's but true. I guess, yeah. Georgie, we haven't let you get in here. You got anything more to throw in? We should we should go to wrap even though Steve hasn't showed up yet. Just as Les was saying about the powers that be, the geopolitical landscape of how IOC rewards the cities, I was thinking you almost need to be desperate as a country, Rio, or almost authoritarian as a society to get the Olympics. You know, Russia and China being two examples recently, and what Les has described, what, you know, Beijing was willing to do to get stuff. I don't think the stuff that Sochi and Beijing got away with would ever occur in any society that we would choose to live in. So it's almost if you're in an oppressive society, which is the opposite of what the Olympics and the five colored rings are supposed to represent, because they really shouldn't be giving Olympics to countries that oppress their people. Like that's the exact opposite of the spirit of the Olympics. But here you go, you know, Russia and China getting it. And already it's going back to China in 2022, even though they just had the host the, the 2008 probably because a combination of money and China is willing to push an agenda through and not really caring about what the general populace thinks about it. Unlike, you know, Boston and Toronto and Austria, who basically had referendums and said, no, we can't afford this. We don't want it. It's terrible for our, our system and our society. You know, screw it. We don't want it. That would never happen in those two specific examples that I use. So it's interesting. It just tweaked to me how it's almost changing as a, it's it's the the way the country's power over the people is now deciding where it goes. And I don't think we ever thought that would happen in our lifetime. I can tell you living here in Toronto where we hosted the Pan Am Games a couple of years ago, and that was largely because Toronto has tried many a times to host the Summer Olympics. They've bid on a, a number of them. They've always failed. We hosted the Pan Am Games in the hopes that that would strengthen our bid possibilities for future Olympics. And after the Pan Am Games were here a couple summers ago, it was decided, yeah, we ain't bidding on the Olympics. That was a pain in the ass. Nobody really liked having them here. Disrupted traffic. The general population was like, yeah, we don't want to host the Olympics. The Olympics is actually having to work for places to host. The, the economics and the politics of hosting the Olympics has changed 
completely over the course of our lives. And maybe the trickle down has happened because Thompson's hosting the Manitoba Games because yeah, because Verdon bailed out a year outside of the game. So it's a three-year planning cycle. And there was a group down in Verdon that took the games and they couldn't get volunteers. They couldn't get sponsorship money. Uh, and they had sort of, in some respects, been cajoled into taking the game. So then we got a call a year out saying, hey, sort of like Toronto, you've bid a bunch of times. Well, now you kind of got to take it. The shine <laughs> is off of those games too. I mean, it used to be you you did a bid process, just like small Olympics, right? You competed against people. You brought people up here. You wined and dined them, showed your facilities. And now the Manitoba Games, Sport Manitoba is coming to communities and basically begging them or asking them to take the game. So it's yeah. the, maybe the shine has just worn off multi-sport events around the world. Yeah, maybe to a certain degree. Although, Bruce, I don't think, the, I don't think we should do anything to uh, diminish the shine that is going to be on the Manitoba Games that I know you're involved in hosting in Thompson uh, coming up here pretty soon. So that's going to be a fantastic event for you and, and good on you for being involved in that. It just dawned on me while you're saying that. I don't know, George, if you're aware of this, but there has been uh, quite a bit of discussion lately for both the summer and the winter Olympics that there should be permanent Olympic hosting sites established and jointly paid for by numbers of countries. You get out of this whole political, economic, fraudulent, corrupt bullshit of choosing host cities so that you know people can funnel money back and forth. And you'd say, all right, we're all going to pitch in. We're going to build the site of the Olympics, and every Olympics is going to be here from now on. I think that that's a really interesting idea. I, I want to see how that plays out in discussion and whether or not it actually happens moving forward. But I think that that could fix a lot of the issues on the corruption side. The other thing that greatly affects the Olympics is the time zone in which it's hosted, believe it or not. We've got these Olympics in South Korea kicking off yesterday, today, or tomorrow, as we discussed. <laughs> And I think the time zone, the time zone there is like 14 hours ahead of me, like 15 hours ahead of you guys. And that makes it a huge challenge for the broadcasters to make anything relevant. Because here's the perfect example. One of the biggest moments in Olympic history for people of our generation and just sports fans in general, even though it's kind of Americanized, the story of the miracle on ice. 1980, Lake Placid Olympics, Team yeah. USA beats Team Russia for the gold medal when it was the Red Army and they should have won. And, uh, you know, the Americans were ranked seventh or something going in. It's like this huge upset. And it's one of the great moments in the history of Olympic sports and, and just sport in general. That game, even though it was local to North America, because Lake Placid, New York, right? So Eastern Standard Time, that game was shown on national television in the U.S. on tape delay. The game was played in the afternoon, and it was shown on television at night. And people watched it thinking they were watching it live and didn't even know the difference. This was 1980. <laughs> now, it's a challenge for NBC to broadcast the Olympics because they're like, what the hell are we going to show on TV in primetime? Because everybody knows what's happened. Because we all live in a real-time world now. You wake up in the morning, you grab your phone, you look at the internet, and you find out everything that's going on while you're sleeping. So how do they broadcast these sports in a manner that it actually matters? Are we going to, and I challenge you guys to this, I throw this question out, when Canada is playing either uh, Russia or the U.S. for Olympic gold at 3.30 in the morning or 5.30 in the morning on a Wednesday, 
are you going to get up in the middle of the night and watch it live time? That's a, not a chance for me. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm the only one of the four of us that plays Hawk, or I think yeah. I am. I think the way that TV has affected our Olympic experience has changed 100% in that in the 80s, just like what you said right there, Lester, they had us trapped. So we, we didn't have a lot of channels. TV made sure that the Olympics was everything to you when it was on and as it was coming up, right? They sold that experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not sure if we loved the Olympics that much or whether we just thought we did because we were just immersed in it. And that was basically our only media, our <laughs> yeah, only media sure. that we got. Now, as media has changed, I mean, I was just thinking this yesterday. Your Twitter feed for most of us is like a news aggregator, basically. And so you choose what you want to get. I don't get any Olympic stuff on my Twitter feed at all because that's just not kind of part of my world. The media has lost me and the Olympics has lost its shine. The other thing that goes with that is with the rise of more media and just sports getting richer, there's other big events now like FIFA World Cup is unbelievable. And there's some other sort of world events, even world championships in track and field and world championships in anything are so huge now. The Olympics was it and it's not anymore because of money and because of media, because TV stations can now send 100 cameras to whatever event that is. And it's as big and cool as the Olympics was where you used to, you'd hear about the greatest downhill ski race in Austria and all you got was one little snippet or someone saying, oh yeah, Steve Podborski yeah. won again. I agree with what you're saying, Bruce. I don't want to let this whole podcast come to, to an end without saying I will still tune in and watch a bunch of the Olympics. I'm still a sucker for watching. Stevie. I got, I'm getting my fucking texts. Great podcast I'm listening to. Exceptional. <laughs> I'm going to cut less off and we'll see if we can get everybody in here. Hang on. Yeah, I can't for some reason get on the pod. I, I can listen to you guys. I can hear you, but no one can hear me. I feel like, honey, I shrunk the fucking kids. <laughs> the, the one last thing that we never touched on, which hang, I thought... Hang on, Lester. I got to stop you for a second. Steve cut in there. I missed recording just a little bit of what you were saying. Steve's finally showed up and he, he's been texting us. He's super mad because he can hear us, but he can't get in. <laughs> no, no, I know. It's, I was just going to say, Les is having this amazing monologue about tears in his eyes. And all I can think about is Steve can't get on this podcast and I'm like, like laughing inside. <laughs> well, it's actually just before I started talking, I noticed that he, he's been calling my phone. <laughs> We're ignoring him. He's now wandering drunkenly down the streets of Montreal, desperately trying to call into the podcast. Oh, it's so sad. Les is on a roll. I'm like, this is a great podcast. Back up a bit, Lester, right, and, and finish your rant. To wrap things up. I, yeah, I'm yeah, Bruce, uh, and I felt like you didn't need me as well. I'm going to start with a question. Let's wrap. No, it no, up. hold on, George, because I want to make I want to make one last point because the one thing that we didn't touch on, which is important, that the Olympics gives to us as fans watching it is a sense of national pride. I guarantee that even if it's at five in the morning on a Wednesday, if Canada is playing for Olympic gold it'll have the highest television ratings of anything that's that's on TV this winter. And the whole country, all of our news channels, CBC, CTV, everybody will be talking about games tomorrow morning, set your alarm clocks, you're getting up, you're going to watch. And when we do win that Olympic gold, we'll be that much prouder as a nation. And I, I do think that there's value in that. And, and I love it. I love that it brings us together and gives us something else to be proud about as a, as, as a right. people and as a, as a nation. I'm proud, but what no, the fuck about the check-in? You guys are right into it. Did you guys check in already? Yeah. What time did you join the call? He's exactly one hour late. <laughs> you said nine yeah, o'clock. You're an hour. Oh, nine fuck, guys. For the call. Are you serious? I was in the wrong. Pa- fuck. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm such a bastard. 
Hey, <laughs> I built my whole day around being ready for for ten o'clock, which is really what. Wait a minute. Yeah, well, nine o'clock probably... central. No, all the texts say nine EST. No, no, no. Uh, okay, you're you're wrong. Okay, no, 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 no. Let me let me just guys, guys. No, I'll, I believe you. Let me just see my last text. Okay, just just trust me on this one. Hey, last one last thing before we go on to when have you done this last? It is a good point because Canada. One of the things that we're not as good as the state, we're not as good in lots of things, is their jingoistic pride, yep. how much they rally around their flag and their identity. And three Winter Olympics ago, when Canada started their own the podium and yep. they invested more money and we won the most gold medals ever before. And that probably sprung yep. from 1988 in Calgary, where we're the only host country not to win a gold. It was a good call by Canada, because it's true. Even though we think it's less relevant, for two weeks, we do come together as a country, and we do cheer. And I love that there's a guy from Saskatchewan who somehow is an awesome border. So th- that is a good point. Is that that part of it is still strong? I definitely agree. And that own the podium program, which is really a funding program out of Sport Canada, has been tremendously successful. I applaud it. It's led to um, a lot of fantastic athletic endeavors for Canadian athletes, and that's that's always a good thing. And, you know, the the funny little tie in there, I talked to my sister just a little bit about this, and her and I had a bit of a discussion back and forth about how much money do you pour into elite sport and into a few kids when you could spend it on other kids or social housing programs, whatever that might be. And we both agreed that we, you know, we sort of lean towards the social programs. At the same time, her son is on a, a bit of an elite path in diving as well. And he's not exactly in the own the podium, but he's receiving elite athlete dollars one way or the other. He doesn't get cut a check every day, but there's lots of supports around him. And, and she even said, I'm kind of hypocritical because I, you know, I want to believe that we shouldn't spend too much money on elite sport, but I'll take everything I can, any kind of support I can get for my kid and want to see him on a podium, which yeah, every, every parent would. And, I, and I'm, that's not wrong. It's just a hard call yeah, in no, terms of how much true. money do you spend? It's, it's really important because it is a trickle down thing in sports. Whether it's right or not is a separate conversation, but the reality is the better your sport does in the Olympics, the more funding flows into your sport at the elite and then at the grassroots level for the next four years. The fact that you have a nephew who's participating in an amateur sport that's reasonably well-funded now, which is diving, is a direct result of the fantastic Olympic and World Championship success that Canadian divers have had over the last decade. It's literally how sports get funded in Canada. If you do well enough at the Olympics you get funding for the next four years. And that funding is at the elite and trickle down to the to the grassroots level. So you know it, it all goes hand in hand. If it wasn't if, if it wasn't for the Olympics and watching the Olympics and learning about these sports and seeing these sports, the only sports that kids would play in Canada would be hockey and curling. There would be no diving. There would be no gymnastics. And the good news for him is that they moved to Quebec where those kind of things, gymnastics, diving, trampoline, I mean, that is the epicenter of that kind of stuff, right, in terms of money and coaching. Quebec leads Canada in its understanding of how to how to fund sport, for sure. They, they're more passionate about it than the rest of the provinces at the provincial level. First of all, uh, I want to get this one out. Watch for Eric Bisson on an Olympic podium someday. No pressure, Eric. My deepest apologies. My last text says I'm good for nine nine o'clock Central Standard Time, and then I went to my and my immediate next response. Yeah, I feel I feel yes, absolutely. I'm not blaming anybody, deep. I'll take responsibility for that. This is me with a poofy pants face on. It's good thing we're not on TV. <laughs> Are they relevant to me? Uh, you know, they're uh, they're relevant to the extent, and I think you know, echoing what I heard a little bit, it's about that national pride. You know, I, I think I used to be into the the Olympics. I don't know why when I was younger. 
now as, as I get older, I feel like, yeah, I mean, if the Canadians are in it, I'm excited. It's an opportunity, just like when I said I fly Air Canada and other countries because it makes me feel close to home. I mean, I love athletics. Sport in and of itself is amazing. It's like I always forget how good an orange tastes until I have it. I don't really feel like having oranges. And I don't think about the Olympics until I'm actually watching them. It doesn't matter where I am in the world or when they're on. I'm like, man, this is awesome. Why don't I get pumped about the Olympics? Because I'm watching it and I'm feeling it. And it doesn't even have to be Canada in that moment. It could be two great nations coming together. The Olympics, I think, is one of those moments where, you know, we forget everything else that exists. We forget our differences. And it's where, like, hey, this we have something in common. And it's sport. And it's getting along. And everything else just fades away. And I think when I'm watching the Olympics, that's probably late, lately with all the stuff going on in the world. You see different countries smiling and laughing and congratulating each other. It's just beautiful. And why don't we as nations or as people... Uh, partake in these kinds of things that bring us together where everything else just fades away. Wow, that was a home run. That's something that we didn't touch on at, at all in the least and you knocked that one out of the park. So you guys still you guys still need me then? <laughs> no, fuck that. You're banned from the next podcast. Fuck you, Theo. Fuck you. It's the closing segment on the Snow Day podcast. When's the last time you? When was the last time you shot an animal? Oh, are you serious? Oh, fuck. No, I'm just sorry. I'm just surprised. Was that I'll, in the I'll, email? I'll tell you what, I Steve, why don't you go first? <laughs> I did it once. Stupid in grade seven. I was hanging out with Stacy Edwards, and we had this stupid idea to just go and like, pretend that we were roughing it we took baloney and stuff and bread and we went into the down the burntwood road and we brought our pellet guns and we pretended for a day that we uh we were like on our own and whatever we were just playing and he's like yeah we should shoot something i'm like uh okay because that's what you would do if you're on your own if you to survive and i won't get into the details but we decided to shoot a rabbit with a pellet gun which is not a good idea and i'm totally against taking an animal's life unless you're going to use all of it like first nations people do and stuff but and that's just my perspective. And we did it. And it didn't happen the way that we thought it would. And it ended up being a terrible suffering thing. And I, I used every piece of that animal. I felt so bad. I felt so disgusted with myself to take that bunny's life. I, I don't, George, if you remember, I got your mom to cook it for me. When I was a kid, I brought the meat over. I held on to the pelt as long as possible to my mom said, okay, Steve, you need to really part with this stuff. But that was, uh, yeah, I think it was in grade seven or eight, and it was a absolute horrific, terrible experience. That's a, that was a, that was the first and only time I shot something that was had life in it. I, d- I don't want to tr- make your trauma even worse, but did the rabbit kind of scream? Because uh, I've never heard it, but apparently people say that if you shoot a like if you hurt a rabbit, they can scream like a little kid or like a baby. I'm not even kidding. I've thought of it. Uh, yeah, thanks, me. thanks, friends. You know, when I said I just want to leave parts of it out. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. It was, hor- it was horrific. It was uh, still, I'm like, you know, I'm just, I'm almost 40 <laughs> and, uh, and it, it still haunts me, still haunts me. Wow. Thanks, George. Thanks for bringing that back. There what a go. great your, topic. Your day just keeps getting better and better. <laughs> I wasn't going to have another glass of wine, but I think it looks pretty good from here. Lester urban hunting in Toronto. What do you got? Well, Steve stole my thunder a little bit because my story is rather similar. Oh, I won't tell it in such a dramatic fashion. I've only shot one animal in my life, and it was when I was very young. I'm going to say I was like maybe nine or ten years old. 
you guys know this, my brother and I used to spend summers on the Hanson family farm in Saskatchewan. As farm kids are in the summer, you know, you get a gun. And I thought it was really cool. And I was shooting at birds, actually, that would sit on the power line in the farmyard. And so I was, I spent like a couple of days, like trying to shoot a bird on, the, on this power line. Finally, I hit one and I was like so excited. And I was like jumping around. I was like, oh, Chris, Chris, I hit a bird. I hit a bird. Look at that. And he, my older brother, uh, who you guys remember, not around yeah. anymore, but he yeah. grabbed me by the shoulder and he made me go over and pick up the bird and hold it in my hands. And he looked at me and he, and he, I remember this now as if it happened yesterday. He looked at me and he said, you did this. Wow. <laughs> and, the uh, only thing that could have made my situation worse is if somebody did that. Yeah. And, uh, I, I've never, uh, you know, my dad was an avid hunter when I was growing up, but that was it. Uh, I've, I've never, I've never shot a gun in the direction of any living animal since then. I took it to heart. Wow. Kind of a, like, it's a kind of a warm memory of my older brother passing down a important life lesson to me as well. Yeah. What a lesson. One million and one reasons why Chris is such a beautiful person. Like, I mean, that is a big part of his character, right? Yeah. Wow. So depending on who our audience is, I, either I look like the most manly man in this crowd or I am heathen <laughs> because I've shot a lot of animals. Most of them. Is James L. Rudd listening? Absolutely. I can tell <laughs> you. Proud of you. I'll, I'll tell you two James L. Rudd stories. Yeah. Well, first of all, the last animal I shot was a squirrel at the cottage. My squirrel totals probably thirty-five or forty over the last couple of years. So they they just have no place in the urban environment that is my cabin. And the only way to get rid of them is at twenty-two. Took a shot at a beaver this <laughs> summer. I don't think I hit it. Um, it was swimming past a dock, but we've been trying to clean that guy up. Probably my story that's a little bit like yours, guys, is I went duck hunting with Jim Rudd in university. Went with him a few times, so I've got some ducks under my belt. I'm not I'm not a hunter. I don't get a lot of joy out of that, but I gave it a shot. The first one that I shot, we were in a canoe, we paddled over to it and it was floundering a little bit because we had kind of winged it or whatever. Jim just was yelling at me, grab it, grab it, grab it by the neck and swing it around. So I had to grab this duck out of the water and break its neck by swinging it around. And <laughs> that's that's an awful feeling, guys. Don't ever do that. It sucked. So shortly thereafter, we were still <laughs> hunting and, uh, and I was sitting in the front of the canoe and a bunch of birds flew by and Jim was yelling at me, get some fucking lead in the air. Get some goddamn lead in the air. And I just didn't have the heart to shoot at them anymore. So shot a bunch of ducks and killed a few of them with my bare hands. The funniest hunting story with Jim and I, I'll try to tell it quickly, was we were going out. He had an old 67 Chevy, like this giant car. Yes, it was a 67 Oldsmobile that I had purchased nine days earlier for 400 bucks. And I should have known that something was up because even though the car was like 30 years old at that point, all the lights worked. So clearly someone had wired it with speaker wire or something. A back dash that you could play Monopoly on. It was absolutely huge. We were close to Swan Lake, Manitoba. And uh, he pulled over and I said, Jim, what's going on? And he said, hey, Bruce, the car's on fire. You equally casually replied, oh, yeah. Pouring out of the back dash was just smoke, 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 smoke. So we grabbed our guns. And I don't know. We might have thrown in a bag of decoys before we went, screw this. This is on fire. Like, seriously. Went over to the other side of the road and the car went into full flames. <laughs> And, the, oh and the, the shells in the back of the car were going off. We had the back seat was littered with shotgun shells and they were going off like pop, 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 right? So we're kind of hunkered down. In the wow, that was God, God telling you, 
don't shoot animals. D- don't he was saying don't. And don't you wonder them. why you're the one we left behind. <laughs> 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 There's no doubt about it. So then as we're, we're standing across the road, the horn shorted out and it started to go off. It's going like, and we're standing there with two shotguns and our pockets full of shells. And that's when I said, so I'm going to shoot it. And I talked him off the ledge on that, just sort of on a <laughs> wow. Insu- wow. insurance will oh not <laughs> insurance will not cover this if you shoot the car, Jim. So somebody stopped or maybe they saw the flames from town, but then the Swan Lake Volunteer Fire Department showed up. Put the car out. So I think we hitched a ride with one of the firemen back into town. Of course, the only thing that's really open in Swan Lake during the day is the, the hotel, the bar. So we walked in and kind of stuck our heads around the corner, and the barman said, yeah. And I said, well, like, we're here, but we got two shotguns because our car burnt down. And he was like, oh, yeah. So can we leave him with you? Oh, yeah. It was like this happened every day in Swan Lake. When we went back a couple of days later, the canoe that was on the roof was totally, had a hole burnt in it. Just the toes from my steel-toed boots. That you stole from highways the summer before. The rubber had all gone off and there was just a sad little set of toes. Oh, you met a tough guard. <laughs> yeah, Autopack paid me like, I don't know, 500 bucks for the car and I bought it back for 175 bucks and took the motor out of that car and put it in another car that was exactly the same and drove it around for a while. That's the story. I didn't shoot anything that trip, but that's like my zanious hunting story for sure. Sorry, George, I went on a oh. bit. Uh, it's your question, your turn. What do you got? You almost bagged the car. No, I want you to get a. Good. I want you to get a sound bite of James L. Rudd yelling, "Krentz, get some lead in the air! <laughs> get some goddamn lead in the air!" Just like such a pimp. The reason why this question came up is I play squash with lots of guys that hunt, and they just love it. And dude, I have never shot an animal. That's why I've asked this question. I've been shooting. I've gone out shooting. I've never, I've actually never hit an animal. And this, I just made me think, does anybody still do that? Because I yeah, hang out don't. with guys that, that do it. And then it really came to light, you know, a few years ago when, you know, Cecil the Lion was shot by that dickhead dentist down in the States and how big game hunting has now become this look how rich I am. I can drop $60,000 and go kill an endangered animal. It has nothing to do with eating it or using any parts of it. That's kind of where I thought about it. I've actually, I've gone hunting. I've never, I don't think I've ever hit anything. So I don't think I've never have. Yeah. The one I didn't tell, and, and this is almost the opposite of a big game hunt, but was uh, I went seal hunting when we lived in the Arctic where we stood over a hole with a spear. And I did that for 20 hours over the course of a weekend, praying to God that nothing would come up the hole that I was standing over. Uh, it didn't, but somebody got a seal and we cut it open and ate it. I think I probably told you guys a story about eating raw seal liver yep. out, uh, out on the ice, yeah, right? And, you told me that story. But that, I mean, that feels like a whole different context. That was traditional. That was, you know, a part of the culture. It really, really was. Like, yeah. And, Bruce, and, that makes sense to me. Bruce, that makes sense to me. They don't take selfies and, and they don't say things like, it was okay to kill because there's so many of them. Yeah, just like people. There's lots of them, too. (laughs) (laughs) The slippery fucking slope, I tell you. If only we had a tomato timer, I would have had to rewind it three times. I I think that's it. Georgie, that's the end of your question. Yeah, that's that was it. that was crazy. That's it, Steve. Sorry, we parachuted you, and we're gonna you no, and I. Oh no, no, we'll, I'm sorry, guys. That was my fault. I, I messed up today. So, all right, boys. T- I don't want to say this to give you a hard, any more of a hard time, Steve. But good discussion, boys. That was a good chat. <laughs> yep. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
That was podcast. my best by far. Oh, fuck you, Jordy. <laughs> fuck you. That was the best podcast by far. What? <laughs> but, yeah. You gotta go back and edit out Steven in the Golden. I really can't put oh. my thumb on it. I don't know why. Well, because, because I'm in Montreal. Because I'm in Montreal. Lester, this is for you. Tabernacle. Golis. <laughs> All right, boys. All right, All right boys. I'm hanging up. Have a great night, boys. I still love you. I still love you. I still love you guys. Yeah. Go Canada. Love you, Steve. Je t'aime, mon ami. Je t'aime aussi. Je t'aime aussi. Recording stop. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Want to do us a solid? Tell your friends. Recommend us on Twitter and Instagram at SnowDayPod. And on Facebook, Snow Day Podcast. And special thanks to the secret weapon, Shannon Bisson.